Welcome to the St. Richard's Podcast Sermon of the Week. This week's message is given by the Reverend Kelly Jennings. For more information, please visit us at strichards.org. We get God and Isaiah saying, I am about to do a new thing. I wonder how many of you felt something resonate. I am about to do a new thing. What's going on in your lives where you can be looking out for a new thing? I'm about to do a new thing. And Paul and Philippians, that's worth a whole read. Take time this week just to read the letter of Philippians. Just such a rich, rich letter. There's so much even in just this chapter. Right, so let's get there. Well, I figured that since Paul was able to give a bit of his resume at the beginning of this passage here, that maybe I could have the excuse for giving a little bit of my own resume. Um, And I figured the time was right. I am a University of Kansas graduate, Rockshot J. Hawk. (laughs) For those who are not following March Madness and basketball, we have a big game coming up tomorrow night. But I'm very, very proud. All that is a loss, of course, compared to Christ. But I'm very proud, all the same, of my alma mater and uh, the Jayhawks, not just because we're great in basketball, but also because Jesus drew very, very close to me, maybe more so, because Jesus drew very, very close to me when I was at KU. Um, I've known Jesus all my life. But, you know, college is that time. You're on your own, and you're starting to really think about, what is it I believe? What did I learn in church? Who, how did, what was passed on to me? What do I have? So I, I attended, um, my church home was the Canterbury Chapel on the campus of KU, Can- or Canterbury House. That's a, a place you'll find around the country, Canterbury House is where the Episcopal Church has its presence on a campus. And it was the first place where I met a female priest. I had been raised in All Souls Episcopal Church in Oklahoma City, and even um, girls couldn't even acolyte, let alone be a priest. So it was a different thing for me to meet with Mother Anne and realize, hey, I I like this. At the time, I was more focused on traveling, and I, I always found languages easy. So I majored in French and East Asian studies, but it was really Japan that my heart was, uh, was on. And um, so Mother Anne knew that I was there in my senior year. I was looking for a way to get to Japan and spend some time there. So one day she said, hey, Kelly, I just got this brochure in the mail. And it was called Learning Through Service. It was put out by the National Church. And it was a way for college graduates to go overseas and do volunteer work wherever the Anglican communion was present. And so I immediately turned to the page that, where Japan was featured. The church in Japan, the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church is known as the Holy Catholic Church. I love that. The Holy Catholic Church of Japan. And I applied for the job and got it. And I not only got to go for the summer, but I extended the stay and was able to be there for the full next year. So a year and a summer. I taught in an Anglican junior college called St. Paul's, founded by missionaries. The highlight for me, however, you won't be surprised, was where I lived, which was in a children's home, an orphanage, in the middle of Osaka, the largest 
orphanage in Japan, or children's home, 120 kids. And it had also been founded by Anglican missionaries in the 1800s. And so on school breaks from teaching English, I got to spend plenty of time with the kids and learned just how little they had of their own, their, their own possessions. Most things were shared. There was a common purse, you might say. But when it came time for me to say goodbye, which was hard, I remember um, many things about the goodbyes, but one thing that struck me and that resonated with this, this language of the gift in these passages today was that a, a young boy um, handed me something very precious. Now, they didn't own very much of their own, but one thing that was very special to a Japanese child in this home was their pencil case that could be um, individualized and they could keep their special things inside. He gave me his pencil case before I left. And I knew how precious that was to him. I knew how precious that was. It was an extravagant gift, an extravagant gift. I wonder if you all can think for a minute about an extravagant gift that someone has given you in your life. It might have been a scholarship. It might have been an engagement ring. It might have been just the gift of extra time when you weren't sure you were going to get that time with that loved one. And how did you feel when you received that gift? How did that feel? Maybe you felt like, are they crazy? They don't have the money for that. Extravagant generosity. Maybe you felt, oh my gosh, now I've got to give it back in kind. Great. Maybe you just felt gratitude and love as you received that gift. Paul knew the value of the gift that he received, the gift of forgiveness. In his encounter with Jesus Christ, he knew that he was given something new. God was about to do a new thing in St. Paul. Saul, at the time, his life of persecuting Christians was over. He was stepping into something new and into the light, working hand in hand with his Lord to bring others into that light and that life of forgiveness. If anyone is in Christ, he says, he is a new creation. But in his letter we hear from today, Paul lifts up the value of knowing Jesus. That verse itself is worth memorizing. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He says just above that, he says, knowing him makes me realize that everything else I've had before was rubbish. Now that's a nice word for what the Greek word actually is. True. So all of that rubbish compared to what I now have in Christ. He's got this phrase, I want to know the power of his resurrection made me wonder, to wonder this week, what does he mean by that? I want to know the power of his resurrection. I'm looking at faces wondering, imagining that many of you already know the power of Jesus' resurrection. And once you do, you are looking out for it every day thereafter. You want to know the power of his resurrection, whether that's forgiveness, whether that's being given a new chance in life 
whether that's healing in your life or in the life of a loved one, the power of his resurrection beyond anything that an earthly power could give you, right? He has this singular direction there at the end of the passage. I press on toward the goal, right? But a little bit further up, he says, he wants to gain Christ, and here's a phrase that struck me this week, I want to gain Christ and be found in him. So just think, wonder today with me, if someone were looking for you, would they find you in Christ? There's a goal for each of us. If someone were looking for you and they found you, would they find you in Christ? Would they find you somewhere else? In my case, they'd find me probably in a lot of anxiety. <laughs> that's the work I have. Well, that's the work for God to do in me, right? Is to bring me out of an, an anxious place and help others to find me in Christ, place of peace, place of forgiveness. Would they find, if people were looking for you, would they find you in a place of forgiveness? And then he says he wants to share in Jesus' sufferings by becoming like him in his death. I also imagine a lot of you have already walked through a dark valley, but maybe a number of you are walking in a dark valley right now. Paul reminds you today, the good news is that you are, sh good, good news, you are sharing in Jesus' suffering. Yes, it's good news in that strange Christian way. Sharing in Jesus' sufferings and becoming like him in his death. He knows that his own destination and that of all believers in Christ lies mysteriously in the hope. Do you see what the hope is? The resurrection of the dead. So that's what Easter Sunday, every Sunday being a mini Easter, that's what they all point to. Every Sunday points us to the resurrection of the dead, our hope. So Paul gives us the language of gift. We also get it in the gospel today. Now, notice the timing in the gospel. It's very precise for John. He tells us that six days before the Passover is when this dinner takes place. We've heard about another dinner at Lazarus's house with Mary and Martha. That's the one where Martha's doing all the cooking. She complains that Mary isn't. She's just sitting at Jesus's feet. This is a different dinner. And there's someone at the table who was there at the first one who had died Notice their brother Lazarus. This time, Lazarus, who had died, is at the table. A resurrected man is sitting there. Just imagine that electricity if you're a guest at the dinner table. And he's the talk of not just the town of Bethany, which incidentally is a very small town still today. It's called Lazarus's Place, the name of the town in Arabic today. You'll find it not by Bethany, but by this name. It's called Lazarus's Place. Isn't that sweet? So wildfire spreads. I mean, the word that Lazarus had been raised is spread like wildfire. And it's controversial. It's electric for all kinds of reasons. So the dinner is charged already with a lot of energy. And so then you get Mary. Notice the detail, too. Martha is again doing the work in the kitchen. Mary is again at Jesus' feet, but she's doing something very uncomfortable, especially for the men present, because women would not let their hair down to begin with. So her hair's down. She's broken open this jar of oil. Nard is the name of the flower that the perfume comes from. 
who knows if this was hers or if this was the family's. It's a lot of perfumed oil. They would have used it. People in the day who had the money to buy it, the flower only came from the Far East at this point, so you had to have a lot of money to buy nard. Who knows if this belongs just to her or to her family? But we know from Judas's reaction, don't we, that this is, this is something costly. He's covering up the fact that he's a thief, we're told by John in his account, that maybe by making this protest, oh, you could have sold it for so much and we could have helped the poor. He's covering up the fact that he's already been pocketing the cash. What does Mary do with the oil? She puts it on Jesus' feet and she washes, she bathes his feet with her hair. I wondered, we get this detail about the smell, the aroma filling the space. And I just wondered, what, how did that affect people in that space? What was that like? We'll get some incense on Easter vigil on Saturday night before Easter Sunday fills the space and made it sure smelling different. Mary shows her love of her Lord through this gift, an extravagant gift. Her act says what Paul would preach later, I consider everything a loss to who you are, Jesus. It's not easy having a saint in your family. It's not easy having a saint in your family. One of my favorite saints, St. Catherine of Siena, a 14th century Italian saint, a woman, she um, she's famous for her preaching, for her counseling even popes. She's also famous for giving away her family possessions to the poor. Oh, but it must have been hard for Catherine's family to live with her until she finally moved out and did her thing. Thank goodness she's gone. An extravagant gift. Mary's act is also an act of foreshadowing what is going to happen on the first Easter Sunday morning. Because in the first Easter Sunday, the women, Mary with them, are going to be bringing spices and oils to do what was ritually done to prepare Jesus' body, the body of someone who had died. Maybe she saved a little, we don't know. Because notice Jesus' words about what she's done. Jesus says, She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. But does she need it? Does she need it? When they show up Sunday morning, you can imagine, I I imagine the, the scene where those jars of oil are just left on the ground when they encounter the angel. That leaves us with us, with, leaves us with us today. We've thought about an extravagant gift that we have received. I wonder what extravagant gift God is calling each of you to give. Now, I know as as a pastor here how much people give to each other that is extravagant. I see it every week. But I wonder if that extravagant giving that God is calling us to might be something a little different than what you're used to. So just ponder that this morning. What way might God be calling you to show your love for him above all else? 
above all else. It might be time, just time you spend with someone rather than rushing on. It might be a meal you sit and have with someone. It might be a conversation. You just designate, you clear the way one afternoon and just be with that person. Extravagant giving. It might be a gift of physical labor you haven't done in a while. It might be prayer. It might be a gift you give of silence, 10 minutes even. How many of us just make 10 minutes of doing nothing but sitting in silence? Extravagant giving. Forget, my friends, what lies behind and strain forward to what is ahead. May we press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.